NFL Week 8 Prop Bets, and I'm coming to you this week from the shadows of MetLife Stadium, the home of Jacob's 6-1 Giants. Seems like, Jacob, your team and I have swapped coasts for this weekend as my wife and I spend some time with her family in New York. Almost close enough to do an in-person show with Hitman, but Hitman, I know the props will be the focus of this show. I would like to kick it off with teasers once again this week because in a refreshing change of pace after the Thursday nighter, we can say so far so good on the teaser front in week eight. Both sides coming through last night between the Ravens and the Bucks. I took Baltimore at post, and that was a smooth ride. I know you took Tampa Bay pretty early in the week. Got some great closing line value, but did have to sweat that one out, as evidenced by something you posted on Twitter that I'll go ahead and quote here. All prepared to check myself into the nearest psychiatric hospital after Tampa decided not to kick the field goal for the push, which everyone does nowadays. Now, Hitman, you're a pro at this. We've talked about the ability to keep an even keel over time with the ups and downs in betting. But it seems like even that game last night had you sitting on the edge of your seat. Oh, it was going to be. I mean, it's been no no secret to some people. I've had a really bad teaser year and I've had a really bad regular season as far as sides and totals went. Now, props, different story. It's just a lot easier of a market to win at. And I've done pretty well in it. But yeah, I mean, if that teaser... I mean, the funny thing is, is I was betting Tampa plus eight and a half live at like minus 140 um, with theoretically you're like, all right, well, Tampa's going to drive down the field and at least kick the field goal to, to land the game eight. And I mean, who else would you rather have in the history of the league to dink and dunk down the field against prevent defenses and get your team in field goal range. I mean, I can't think of a more perfect player than Brady to do that. So it was a little bit of a sweat at the end. And with all the bad teaser luck and regular season sides and totals luck that I had, I was just all prepared to, to just have to walk away from the screen and go to sleep. If Tampa didn't score that touchdown on fourth and goal from the six. I'm glad they came through so that we have you here fresh and ready to go for today's show. It is kind of crazy, though, how this season, as we take a step back and just look at things from a macro level for a moment, favorites and teasers have just gone up in flames. Anybody in Survivor has experienced the same fate. But underdogs, I, I would think that teasing them up in a lower scoring environment might be much more advantageous. It does seem that eight is becoming a lot more key, seven becoming less valuable, and even Three times in the last six weeks, speaking of, I think it's negative variance, some betting that I need to brush up on on my part as well, no doubt. Three times in the last six weeks, I've had an underdog teased up to plus eight and a half that has lost by nine. So teasing up through seven alone, not sufficient anymore. But that said, I do think overall that low scoring environment will be a plus when we're talking about teasing underdogs up through some key numbers. And in a short sample size, I think there's just been a lot of negative variance in play. Overall, Hitman, because we will circle back and talk about another teaser at the end of this show, as we always do. How would you describe the state of the Wong teaser going through those key numbers of three and seven? And how would you say that your answer to that question is affecting your betting approach this season? It definitely the eight seems like it's more valuable. I mean, the specific reason that every single person has brought up with the eight being more valuable, which is completely true, is the fact that so many of these teams are analytically savvy 
and they're going to go for the two when they're down 14 and they make it an eight-point game. They're going to go for two instead of kicking that extra point to make it seven. And it's funny, I was on a pod um, during the halftime, a live show, and they were talking to me about the live line, which was Tampa minus six and a half. They were up seven at halftime and they were getting the ball. So Tampa was laying six and a half. And I was even saying, I was like, you know, six and a half, that that's a tough number to lay because you would theoretically think like, all right, Tampa gets up 14. Now I'm safe. Well, no, you're not safe because Baltimore is probably going to go for two when, when they get down eight. So it's just changed a, a lot of things. And it's, it's why you have to constantly adapt in betting. I mean, the people that do not adapt, they get left behind. And it's just a, another reason why you just constantly have to be evolving as each season goes along. And we'll look to evolve in season as we have these conversations each week, not just from a teaser standpoint, but of course, from a prop betting standpoint. So to move on from a few minutes of teaser talk off the top of this week's show and get into the heart of the matter, the props, let's kick it off with the first game on the board on Sunday, the Broncos and Jags kicking it off in London. And Hitman, I'd like to ask about the absence of James Robinson. Travis Etienne looked dynamic out of the backfield and expanded workload last week against the Giants. Now that workload might be expanding further for the foreseeable future. Any look at Etienne in props? I know that we talked about last week at the top of the show, injury situations, you know, transactions like this can delay the availability of certain numbers to even hit the board. But any thoughts on what the James Robinson move might mean for Etienne this week and for the foreseeable future? Yeah, it's funny. This week, you see me on my phone now. It's because so many of these prop openers are just coming out later and later. And there's a lot of prop openers that are even coming out right now. So we might even have some live looks on the show on some new stuff that comes up. But I went against ETN this week. And the reason that I went against ETN is on under 69 and a half rush yards is there's been a big adjustment. He was in the mid-50s last week. Now, he deserves to get an increase in his prop number based off the fact that he had another good game last week. But the last three weeks, he's had 10, 10, 14 carries. So a lot of the projection with ETN right now is, oh, well, James Robinson's gone. ETN's the guy. And, yeah, he is the number one guy for sure. But Doug Peterson was even quoted in the media saying, you know, we got to keep ETN fresh during the whole season, and we're going to be conscious of that. And you have, he was mentioning Jamichael Hasty is going to be the guy that's going to take over for Robinson's role. So I don't think that Robinson was like this great player that some people are making him out to be. I think that it's very possible that that torn Achilles, he doesn't come back 100% from it. So I think Hasty's going to get a lot of Robinson's work, and ETN has just absolutely been living off efficiency. He's averaging six yards per carry. That efficiency is not going to keep happening every week where he's breaking off one long run. And I know the Broncos' pass defense is better than their run defense, but overall it's a pretty good run defense that could maybe force some three and outs from this Jacks, or pretty good defense overall that could force some three and outs. So I thought the ETN in the high 60s, I probably would have made it 64 and a half, 65 and a half if I was making that number. 
There we go. So a common theme you've brought up a few times this season, the best angle in the world also needs to be met with an appropriate price to be actionable. So even if we are looking for perhaps more work from ETN and we think that he has a bright future as a running back in this league, doesn't mean there's going to be value in the prop betting market if everybody else has the same idea. In fact, sometimes the value can come going the other way. So I appreciate that insight from you and want to stick with a common thread. Moving on to Patriots Jets, not seeing as much availability yet when it comes to any James Robinson props for this week. But we saw last week with Christian McCaffrey joining a new team, a lot more fanfare for that move. But I do wonder as kickoff gets closer between Patriots Jets and James Robinson stepping into a pretty big void after Brees Hall went down do you think that there might be any value looking one way or the other at any James Robinson props that become available for the Jets? I don't think there's going to be many available. I mean, maybe, but I think it's one of those situations you try to read some of the, the beat writers, read the quotes and see what they're reporting about the issue. I mean, I would expect a tie. Don't quote me on this, but I would expect say, oh, I predict. But I would expect Ty Johnson plays probably the second most snaps in the Jets' backfield this week. But again, it's not a situation that I'm fully confident in handicapping right now. Sometimes when situations happen like this, it's really just the smartest thing that you could do is you could just sit back and try to do your research and see what type of information comes out about what the planned backfield usage is. Fair enough. Well, when we look at the rest of this game, I know on edge rush, you mentioned liking the Patriots against the spread. Now the caveat that was laying less than a field goal. There are some threes on the board right now, still some two and a halfs as well. So not to say that we fully endorse the Patriots at the current number, but I think that both you and I early in the week did get down on the Patriots as short favorites against the Jets. A big part of the handicap, you spoke to it a couple of days ago, Bill Belichick's defense against a young quarterback and a suspect one at that. The Jets are five and two. They deserve a lot of credit for that. But I don't think that Zach Wilson individually has earned too much of that credit. And now with no Brees Hall, losing his best offensive lineman in Elijah Vera Tucker, seems like Belichick's defense could really go to work. We thought the same thing against the Bears on Monday night. So nothing is a given, but the matchup does seem to be stacking up in the Patriots' favor, at least in that sense. And to that end hit, man. If you see an edge on the Patriots against the spread as a short favorite, are there any areas in the prop betting market where you might be looking to fade the Jets as well? Not much out right now, but just speculating without the numbers in front of me. Um, you would theoretically think Zach Wilson's probably going to have another bad day. I mean, but his lines have been getting really low recently. I know his past yardage closed about 180 last week, but uh, I would say that yeah, 178 and a half, 177 and a half right now. Yeah, but, but, oh, 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 it's right now. It's one set. What is it right now? I'm seeing um, 177 and a half and 178 and a half. Yeah, it's it's probably too low. I mean, I would lean to the under, but it probably ends up being something I pass. I mean, maybe you look at the Elijah Moore prop market, but again, I mean, did the Jets just force feed him? after his blow up last week where, where he was inactive. I don't know. It, it's, it's tough. It, it's, it's tough with the jets right now and what their new offensive identity is. I, I'm really not envisioning much offensive success from them. And just for the game in general, 
I'm not, especially like even with Mac Jones, you'd have to think that Mac Jones's mentality in this game is just don't turn the ball over. I got benched after turning the ball over stupid interceptions earlier in the year against Pittsburgh, against uh, Baltimore, against Miami. So I, I would expect that maybe I, I would be looking towards some unders in this game. Fair enough. Well, let's move right along and talk about the Bears visiting the Cowboys. Sounds like Zeke's going to be out. There might be a free roll on the game script with the Cowboys being a substantial favorite in this one. I think I'm not alone in wondering if that could unlock some value on Tony Pollard props. But maybe it's because of the Zeke injury uncertainty or other dynamics in this game, Hitman, not seeing much, if any, availability yet. Is it a case of A, availability being a limiting factor, and B, the fact that everybody else might be looking the same way, similar to what we talked about with ETN earlier on in this show? Or do you see a path where we might see any betting value in the coming days on Tony Pollard to do some damage against a fairly porous Bears defense? It's funny because with props, it's like, just like we spoke with ETN, you would be like, oh, James Robinson's out. We'll maybe look towards ETN overs. I'm like, well, sometimes the market over adjusts. It could be the same thing with this one that maybe the market does over adjust on it. I mean, I wouldn't be stunned if we see pop very high Pollard line, like 70s at least it's going to be in. Maybe it gets close to 80. Who knows? It's 10-point favorites against Chicago. So it's one of those things. It's like the king. I'll tell you who the best prop better in the world is. The best prop better in the world is the person that reacts to information the quickest. It's like if you were to hear, if there was Elliot and ETN lines up, or excuse me, Elliot and Pollard lines up, and Elliot gets ruled out unsuspectedly, like if you bet Pollard over, you're the best prop better in the world because you're getting a line that's probably 45 yards off market or something. But sometimes these lines get over adjusted. So it's just one of those. I mean, it makes all the sense in the world that Pollard's going to have a big game. Everybody loves him. He's an explosive player. He's a 10-point favorite. But the, the market is probably aware of that also. So it really just ends up seeing we end up seeing where this line ends up and where it ends up closing we'll keep an eye on that one and we'll see if we can uncover value elsewhere on the betting board as it currently stands as we record this on friday early afternoon eastern time and hitman let's talk miami detroit because this game has the highest total on the board right now at 51 and a half on between the lines, Suma endorsed the oversteam we've seen in this game throughout the betting market this week, noting the Lions have a bad defense any way you slice it. Miami dealing with some secondary issues on their end. And now it's looking more and more clearly as if Detroit is going to get some key weapons back for its offense. So everything kind of lining up to a high scoring affair between Miami and Detroit. And aside from the total being bet to the over pretty heavily this week, are there any props that you might be looking at toward the over as well in Dolphins lions? I bet Tua over at one of the openers in the mid two sixties. I bet Tyree kill over in the low eighties, but it's, it's getting bet up now. It's, it's in, I believe, two is 272, right? And Hill is mid-80s right now. I mean, see if the line comes down, because if there is some movement in that line, I would look toward – it makes all the sense in the world that Miami passing overs are going to be good this week. Tua has a um, 
a high pass rate over expectation. Tyree Kill against man coverage has just been an absolute beast this season, and he's going against a Lions team that runs a lot of man coverage. So if you're going to be identifying props to look at for Miami, I think that Hill's the receiver to look at as opposed to Waddle, who is not getting as much of a target share against man coverage. But sometimes stuff just gets bet into. So I, I would just monitor the lines. And again, you have a lot of outs, shop a lot of these lines. Maybe you find a Hill line that's three yards less than, than market and you could and you could look towards the over. But that that's really all I was looking for from a Miami perspective, but maybe also in play, you know, if Miami does get pressured to, to have to keep throwing and Detroit gets up early in the game, I don't see many paths to success for this Lions defense. So uh, I would just monitor the, uh, the Tua and the Tyreek Hill overs. A quick follow-up, as you mentioned in play betting, I don't think we've touched on that yet on this show so far this season. From a prop betting standpoint, how has the market evolved in 2022 when it comes to in-play props? And typically, if you're going to look to bet in play, I know in the early window, sometimes we've got eight or nine games going on simultaneously. How do you figure out how to divide your attention so that you can cover enough games and try to find enough opportunity while also focusing enough so that you can really have more certainty with any edges that you think you're uncovering? So I don't do a ton of live betting on Sunday. And... The, the reason is, especially in like props and stuff, and the reason is, is that you just have so many games to keep track of. I mean, I am, I, I have multiple TVs. I can watch multiple games and all that. But also it's a little bit of a mental health break when I could just sit back and watch the games after I just worked all day Friday, all day Saturday, all day Sunday morning. And everything. So I, I don't do much. The primetime games is really where I focus on the market. I mean, the best advice, I'm, I'm not going to give away uh, everything that I look for and all the systems and everything. But I mean, the best advice you could give is remember, there's an algorithm that's making these live lines. It's not a human. And there's things that you could see on the field that is not accounted for in algorithms. Best example I can ever give and the most obvious one is that Mac Jones, Josh Allen, um, Patriots, Bills, wind game last year became apparent whatever quarterback was throwing into that wind that he wasn't going to be able to throw. So that's just the most extreme example you could think of. But it's definitely a profitable market. It really is a profitable market, but it's definitely a lot of attention to detail that, that you have to pay. And my best advice is that you're just – it's an algorithm. Look at look to see what the algorithm's not picking up on. I like that. It reminds me of the fact that over the years on this show, I've tried to weave in the Malinsky minute wherever possible as a nod to the late, great David Malinsky. And he would often refer to it as the charts, the way you just spoke to the algorithm. And sometimes just knowing when they're booking off a chart and when you've got an edge, you know, that can be in and of itself a way without overcomplicating the handicap just to find some of the biggest edges you can come across. So I appreciate the food for thought there. And on that note, let's go ahead and move on to the late window on Sunday where there won't be as many games going on simultaneously. But one of those games that I feel like would typically belong in the early window, for some reason, they schedule it late. Titans at the Texans. And we're probably looking at a limited version of Ryan Tannehill in this one. 
I'm wondering if that could translate to an increased workload for Derrick Henry. Again, I'm sure I'm not the only one with this thought, but Hitman, you mentioned on edge rush, the last three times in this matchup, Henry has gone over 200 rushing yards. So I'm seeing his prop number right now pretty lofty, anywhere from 98 and a half to 100 and a half. But given Henry's history in this matchup and what we know about the Texans' rush defense this season, even at that elevated number, do you see any meat left on the bone when it comes to possibly betting Derrick Henry prop rushing yards over? What are we seeing right now on Henry? 98 and a half? 98 and a half. Most of those are fairly heavily juiced to the over. And then for more standard, you know, minus 115-ish, some 100 and a halfs also out there. Yeah, I mean, I, I bet the over on Henry at 96 and a half, 97 and a half. I think it maybe does have a little bit of breathing room to that 100 ish area i mean it's very rare that i'm playing a public player like that over such a high number but as you mentioned 200 rush yards in three straight games against houston the quarterback thing either way it's good for derrick henry whoever is that quarterback and the reason is because if it's willis you're going to run tons of that read option they're going to not throw the ball many times theoretically in this game and if it's Tannehill, you want to keep him fully healthy with that ankle injury that he has, and you're going to hand the ball off against the worst run defense in the NFL. So I think there's either quarterback. It's beneficial towards Henry this week. He's been getting so many care. I mean, the only way that he does not get 20, 25 carries is if he they get behind in the game. But it's very hard to see. Uh, um, it's very hard to envision a moment where the Texans get up so big that they have to abandon the run game. So running backs have been killing the Texans this year, every single week. So I, uh, yep. Derek Henry overs, I think are worth a bet this week. Do you feel like it's fair to put a cap at a price point of about a hundred and a half for people who are looking at this and might see some juicy 98 and a half, but a hundred and a half around minus minus one fifteen Is that about the price ceiling for a Henry over? Yeah, I'd say that's about the the ceiling that we're going to go to. And I wouldn't be surprised if this gets bet up by by game day. I wouldn't be surprised. You know what, if you like Henry over right now, I'm not a big guy that's playing back many props, playing the other side. But I think there's a chance that um, you could see Derrick Henry's prop number at some other public square books. It could get up to 106 and a half or something. Wow. Yeah, that almost sounds like a bit of a Super Bowl betting market. But when you can anticipate one way action and get ahead of it, sometimes that's the best position in which we can put ourselves as betters. And uh, somebody who's rooting for a team that has put itself in quite the strong position at this stage of this season, Jacob, your New York Giants traveling to the Pacific Northwest to take on the Seahawks on Sunday. And we did your weekly victory lap as it's becoming on <laughs> between the lines on Wednesday. So for today's show, instead of giving you yet another victory lap right now, I'm wondering as a Giants fan, you've had a good finger on the pulse of this team. It seems like you've been pretty measured and haven't gotten too carried away. You've been, I think, pretty ahead of the curve when it comes to Daniel Jones and what he's been doing, and more importantly, not doing in terms of turning the ball over and costing the Giants in any serious fashion. Yep. Any props for your Giants this weekend that you might care to run by Hitman for his thoughts? Uh, well, I don't. I wouldn't necessarily have specific ones to run by. I, I do kind of want to get... Hitman's thoughts on Daniel Jones in terms of his rushing yards. Right now, he's around 38.5, 37.5. And the Giants right now are running a lot of design plays for Daniel Jones from a running standpoint. 
and Daniel Jones is showing a great ability to scramble. I, I'm not trying to get I'm not trying to get too high on Daniel Jones here, but the Giants trust him with his run game. Daniel Jones trusts himself, and he got over 100 rushing yards last week. Does that number seem a little bit low to you? It's I could see the case for for the over. I mean, there was a group that I believe they released his under last week at 35-ish, and that's why the number did close a lot lower Mm -hmm. last week. But, I mean, this Giants team, they don't have many receivers, as we know. And And they just traded another one. (laughs) Yeah, they just traded another one, even though he wasn't playing much for them. But it's just a situation where he's been having the tuck and – tuck and run it and it's hard to see why they're going to stop uh, so i mean i i could see an argument for his for jones's over rushing as we're doing this i'm looking at these lines just came out um i'm surprised locket is at 64 and a half i thought locket might be a little bit higher after that dk metcalf injury mm-hmm um and last week you uh you were talking about christian kirk and his receiving guards that that did go over pretty pretty handily and giants pass defense there's a lot of injuries to the giants as well which could you could see some more steam on some seattle some seattle props yeah i i thought just off my initial i mean i gotta look into it a little more but i thought lockett at 64 and a half opened a, a little low one that I'll run by you, Hitman, would be Saquon Barkley. And the reason I bring him up is because this Seahawks defense, while it's shown some improvement in the past couple of weeks, hasn't exactly defended passes to running backs very well throughout the course of the season. Case in point last week, Austin Eckler, I know he always sees a lot of work in the Chargers passing game because Joe Lombardi does not want to go downfield. We do not want to do that with Justin Herbert as the quarterback. Eckler, 12 receptions for 96 yards. And Barkley only had four receptions for 25 yards against the Jags last Sunday. So that could suppress his season averages a little bit. And I'm seeing Barkley lined right now. Reception total three and a half, juiced a good bit to the over. Typically it's, uh, let's see here, receptions over for Barkley. Three and a half in the range of minus 135. So maybe that's a bit steep. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. As well as his receiving yardage, pretty much across the board, 27 and a half yards for Barkley. Any interest in the over at either of those numbers and their associated price points? Oh, it's tough because the these numbers did just come out and I haven't been able to do full work into them. But I know this is a lot of sharp guy. Like there's been a lot of studies about like long-term props on what wins and what doesn't. Like long-term, if you play every under on pass yards if you play every over on rush yards like that, that those type of studies and i know that running back receiving yardage has been something that has really been good towards the under for a lot of years and i guess a lot of times you get baited into because it's such a low number typically like it just takes one big play exact exactly and i mean i've definitely been guilty of, of betting some overs on these running backs is why I bet Barkley's over receiving early in the year. I was really big on it around like 21 and a half receiving yards. So it, it's, it's tough for me to say my instinct typically is to look if I don't have an opinion, just to lean towards the under on it, but don't have the, the strongest opinion right now on, um, on Barkley. 
Fair enough. I know with a lot of these lines coming out in real time, sometimes the most prudent move is to take a beat to think about it. Nothing wrong with passing versus forcing the hand. So let's move on to one more game on the week eight slate. It'll be the week eight finale, a Halloween edition of Monday Night Football, pitting the Bengals against the Browns. And I have one player I want to ask you about, Hitman, but unfortunately, I'm going to have to lead off with a different player because we got some big news recently on Jamar Chase being sidelined for the foreseeable future. Overall, just want to get your read, not only from a prop betting standpoint, but from a macro level, just how big of an impact do you think Chase's absence is going to have on a Bengals offense that had really appeared to turn the corner in the past couple of weeks? Yeah, it's going to have a big impact. I mean, everybody's been talking about the Bengals going to that shotgun heavy offense and throwing the ball so much and all that. And it's obviously going to put a wrench into some things, but also, I mean, logical coaching would say that you're going to stay in the same offense. Like, yes, you don't have the same player, but you're going to stay in that three wide offense. You're going to stay in shotgun and you're going to continue to do what you were doing. So maybe you get some value on Burroughs overs this week was my first thought process. I'm sure that it's going to go down after the chase injury. But you would theoretically think just logical coaching, and sometimes that's a bad assumption to make that coaches are going to be logical, but just logical coaching would say that Joe Burrow, you would keep the same offense and he would be spreading Cleveland all over all over the field. So no numbers out right now, but that was my first instinct was to look towards an over. And maybe Nick Chubb overs also. If you look, Chubb has been getting – more work than ever. Kareem Hunt's been getting less work than ever. And I know there's been talk about Kareem Hunt possibly gets traded before the deadline. So maybe look at some Nick Chubb overs as well. One more player whose overs I had been looking toward before we got the chase news was Joe Mixon. And it ties into the Bengals having gone to that shotgun offense, less predictable for defenses, more efficient for Mixon. And knowing that Cleveland's runs defense has just been absolutely pitiful this season, thought we might also get a free roll on game script should the Bengals build a big lead. Now they're not as heavily favored with the chase news. It's down to three off of three and a half. And I think we had even seen some Bengals in the market again before that news on Jamar Chase. So Hitman overall, any thought as to what it might take to capture any interest in Mixon rushing yards over or anything along those lines? Or is there just less of a focus on him as you wait to see what this Bengals offense looks like without Chase? Yeah, I, I wouldn't. I'm not really initially looking towards Mixon's overs. And again, it just goes back to what I was mentioning about the fact that this team is their their offense has just changed going into this pass heavy shotgun offense. And you would just theoretically think that's what's working with them. It's keeping Burrow clean right now, not getting hit as much. So you would think that they're probably going to stick to that. So Mixon might be a guy that his line gets boosted up after the chase injury, but a guy that you maybe think gets over adjusted in my opinion. Again, we have to see the lines, but I wouldn't be stunned if he did get over adjusted. All right. Sounds good. I know a lot of my questions to tee you up for certain players or speaking points this week didn't lead to any quick affirmation or conviction on certain bets to place. But I do hope that for the audience, sometimes this exercise, again, we don't review these thoughts beforehand. I think that sometimes the prudent thing can do, the most prudent thing you can do is to just think things through as much as possible and passing on a game or, or you know, missing out on a bet that you leaned one way and it would have hit 
isn't the worst thing because if you force the play on a loser, that is much more costly factoring in the VIG than forcing a play on a winner if we assume some of these are 50-50 propositions in the long term. So hopefully some good process-oriented information for everybody catching this week's show. And of course, that doesn't mean we're not going to have any picks. So Hitman, as we wrap this up, what would you like to lock in for the Week 8 Props and Hops portfolio? Let's go with ETN under 69 and a half rush yards and Derrick Henry over, we'll call it 99 and a half rush yards. Love it. All right. Henry was one that I had been eyeing. So I will particularly endorse that one as well. And weekly on this show, we're two and five so far, but we'll keep going with teasers for the time being. One that I like on the board right now would be Denver taking them up to plus eight and a half against the Jags in London and pairing that with the Rams, taking the Rams up to plus seven and a half, hosting San Francisco. And in the first leg with Denver, we've got a low total. I think that's right around 40 or 40 and a half right now. And that low total increases the relative value of each point we get and teasing them up through the key numbers of not only three and seven, but now eight in a season like this. And overall, I just really don't trust either team to get a whole lot of separation against any opponent in the league right now. So with Denver and the Jags going head to head, if I can get a short dog up through seven and eight, then I will go ahead and do so with the Broncos. And in the second leg with the Rams, I know this one isn't crossing through eight, so I would have a little bit more hesitation there, perhaps scale back the staking a little bit more this year than in years past. But I think this game might be the exception to the rule of Shanahan owning McVay in recent years. First off, the Rams are off their bye, so they've had a lot of time to really bring out their A game for this particular matchup. And then the Niners dealing with a lot of injuries. So there are some ways in which Shanahan has exploited McVay's scheme that may not be at his disposal this Sunday in Los Angeles. In fact, on Between the Lines on Wednesday, Suma said he wouldn't be surprised if the Rams are favored by kickoff because of the Niners injury situation. So I feel like it might be a case where locking the Rams in a teaser right now could turn out to be a case of getting more than a touchdown of teaser value for the price of six points. So overall, Hitman wanted to see if you had any thoughts on this wager or any other teaser candidates in consideration for you on the week eight card. I got involved with the Tampa teasers yesterday before the, the line moved towards Tampa being the favorite. Um, if I had to look towards someone, it would probably be the Saints. And but the, the, the teaser board hasn't it's not as appealing towards me this week. I would say so uh, I thought, I mean, I teased them with Dallas, Tampa with Dallas. I did a seven point teaser. Dallas, I think has went up to 10. So it's probably a week that I have my least amount of teaser volume. I would say. Well, considering the way teasers have gone so far this season, again, that might not be the worst thing. So we will go ahead and leave it at that. As far as our picks are concerned for the week. And if we are, Hopefully making some good picks that can unlock the opportunity to add to the beer fund a little bit as well as we weave in the hops right here. Jacob, want to lead off with you. You had quite the heavy hitter on hand last week. What is the hops on tap situation looking like for you this coming weekend? Oh, boy. Um, so <laughs> any listeners out there, I'm in my early 20s. Halloween is obviously big time of year for people in there. Well, well, let's not single out uh, ages here, but uh, especially for... For me, Halloween is a big time of year. So last week, I brought out the heavy hitter. This week, we'll probably stick to something uh, more light, more crushable uh, for the Halloween party. Probably going to go with the White Claws that I brought up on Wednesday again and lean on those quite heavily. 
And also, I, I can see myself going to some Cronenberg Blanc for this week. Nothing, nothing incredible, nothing different, but just just more light and uh, can help me get through more than a few if, uh, if <laughs> the party's going well, of course. Sounds good. Well, it so sounds like you and I might be switching places this week because yeah. when I'm in New York, for me, that's synonymous with getting my hands on Other Half wherever I can. Other Half is an awesome brewery in Brooklyn. And special thanks to my brother-in-law, Tommy, for picking up some cans at my request prior to my cross-country flight out here. The one that I'm most excited to get into is called Triple Dry Hop Space Ghost. This is a double IPA clocking in at 9% ABV, so not quite as heavy as the double-digit range that you mentioned last week, Jacob. <laughs> but it's a big one nevertheless. It's a collab between Other Half and Parish Brewing out of Louisiana. And it features four different hops, but the Galaxy Hop is the star. And that's just a tip-off to expecting this one to be really citrusy and tropical, dangerously drinkable for that 9% ABV. And I've got to throw in an honorable mention, and this is going to be a hard pivot from Other Half, but also going to throw out Natty Light for this weekend of all beers to pair with some other half. And that's because it's my father-in-law's favorite beer. And when I'm out here, we can enjoy a few of those in person. So to your point, Jacob, over the course of a longer session, something light and crushable definitely gets the job done. I always say there's a place and time for every beer. And Natty Light with my father-in-law, Doug, is about as good as it gets. So I will gladly take some other half and some Natty Light over the course of these next few days. Hitman, you mentioned last week that Saturday tends to be a mental health day for you. Any plans to that end this coming weekend as well? Good round of golf that I'm getting <laughs> in. Good round of golf. And I'll have my my two mixed drinks and maybe a mixed drink at dinner. As I'm, I'll probably be on my phone like the whole day also, just betting props as well. But that's all I got planned for myself. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, with a later development market, you can probably capture some more value on Saturdays in yeah, the top market the than busy, you typically today's have. Today's the busy day. day. Yeah, t- Friday's the day where I'm just in front. I'm just in AC and doing crazy stuff all week, so or all day. So I don't get much of a break today. All right. Yeah, I might have just misspoken there by saying Saturday. I meant, yes, Friday with everything coming out. And we will let you get to it as we wrap this up on a Friday afternoon on the East Coast. Want to let everybody know they can follow Hitman on Twitter at Hitman428. Also catch his work elsewhere on the Hammer Betting Network in the form of the show Edge Rush, where he covers the side in total for every game alongside NFL handicapper Cleve T.A. and host Chris Abbott. You can catch Edge Rush Wednesday nights or Thursday mornings wherever you get your podcasts. You can follow me on Twitter at MLandis18. And as a programming note here, want to let you know that Jacob and I will be back with Suma next week for Between the Lines, but not our usual Wednesday release time. We're looking at probably a Thursday mid-afternoon Eastern release, early afternoon Pacific release. So keep an eye out for Between the Lines next Thursday, followed up by Props and Hops as usual next Friday. So everybody, want to thank you for tuning in this week. Best of luck with your betting and beer adventures this coming weekend. Props and hops and cops